the other lead pastors from our other Four Oaks congregations doing a strategic planning day. It's a beautiful day here on the beach. I thought no better way to represent the mug of the day by bringing out my very special 30A mug, very special 30A hat. We're a little ways from 30A, but let me tell you, this place rocks. It's awesome. I'm so glad to be here with you as we continue our journey through the book of Revelation. We're up to Revelation chapter 4. And this is where this this is the sections where we get into a little more narrative vision. Um, we're not going to be able to to read all of the um, the passages out loud, but I will be referencing of course Revelation 4. And this is the point in time in the book of Revelation where our scene shifts from earth to heaven. And as we dive into Revelation 4, let me pray for us. It's an awesome passage, an amazing passage. Glad you're here with us this morning. Lord, your mercies are new. And we pray, Father, that you would give us a renewed vision of hope and encouragement as we take a peek into your throne room. And Lord, let us be comforted by the fact that yours is an occupied throne that you are ever present, you are reigning. There's never been a moment in time where you haven't been reigning. There'll never be a moment in the future where you won't be reigning and where you're reigning now. We wanna take hope and encouragement from that. So Lord, give us your grace this morning as we dive in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Jesus has been addressing the seven churches of Asia Minor. And he's been given each of them a common accommodation and then a reproof. And now the scene shifts from earth to heaven. And John, look in verse one, chapter four, he says, after this, and after this just means this is the next thing that's happening in the story. He says, after this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And this sort of reminds me, if you've ever been to to Disney World and you'll walk by an attraction that's in the middle of being built and you know we're always imagining Disney would say or we're always reinventing and adding to the show and those sorts of things but sometimes um, they would put a little tiny hole in the the barricade there that has all the characters on it uh, so you can't see what's happening but it's a tiny little hole so that you can get a peek of what's going on inside the attraction what's happening behind the scenes as they're building and constructing this new attraction for the park and and part of doing that is to give you a sense of expectation and excitement and hope and what's going to be happening in the future and and we get to kind of be a part of the show and in a lot of ways that's what's happening in revelation 4. Jesus is taking John to the behind the scenes look. So you have this, 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 all this chaos is going on on planet earth and the church is being persecuted. And it would have been very natural for them to be asking, you know, God, where are you in all this? What, what are you up to? And then John wants us to go back into that place and to get a peek behind the scene. And what he shows us in Revelation 4 is, in fact, a throne, the throne room of heaven. Now, this idea of the throne is not a peripheral theme in the book of Revelation. We see that the throne is mentioned, the throne of God, 17 times in chapters 4 through 5. In fact, 
38 times is this theme of the throne mentioned in the book of Revelation. So not a peripheral theme, it's a central theme. And let's try to understand what's going on here. For people in the ancient world, thrones were a symbol of life and death, particularly for those who were a part of the Roman Empire, right? So, so as kings, as Caesars would rule, there was an absolute authority invested in whoever was sitting on that throne. And, and it was always a precipitous uh, um, existence someone had um, as part of the Roman Empire, knowing that there was such absolute authority in this throne and that your life could be spared or taken away at the drop of a hat. This was real authority. It was like living in a perpetual episode of the Hunger Games, right? And so for, for, for many people, and, and for probably for most people in that time, the throne was a source of great fear. Um, the this throne was a source of great anxiety. And here John is wanting to tell them and show them, let me tell you about the throne that stands behind all thrones. Let me show you who is really ruling. See, you, you've, you've been looking at these earthly thrones, and in reality, it's just a man behind a curtain. It's just a little wizard, like in the Wizard of Oz, working the levers. Um, but we know from Psalm 2, John would tell us, who is really in charge. It is the Lord who sets up and takes down. It is the Lord who reigns. All the kingdoms of the earth, all the kings of the earth, derive their authority and bear existence from the true king, and he can set them up and take them down at a whim, um, which is obviously why Lord Jesus continues to reign today. The Roman Empire is long gone. Um, we think about regimes that are long gone, whether it's Hitler or Stalin or Alexander the Great or, or any earthly king for that matter. So what's interesting about this vision of the throne room of heaven and remember, John is going to be giving us apocalyptic language. And so that means that this is all meant to paint a picture. It's not meant to necessarily have a direct one-to-one -one correspondence with something in the real world. It's meant to, to convey imagery, to paint a picture. It's meant to uh, create an impression, so to speak, um, all the while using symbols that would have meant something incredibly meaningful to the people reading this. So as we read this and, um, and, and see, get this glimpse of the throne room in Revelation 4, if you read it carefully, what you see is that there is a series of concentric circles in the throne room. So a circle on the outside, a circle in that, a circle within that, a circle within that, until it gets to the very center. And at the very center, in fact, is the throne of God. And, and, and John is telling us that it has the appearance of this, the appearance of that. He talks about the appearance of Jasper, which is a, which is a gem. And here that signifies the glory of God. He says that there is a rainbow here. And again, we know that the rainbow is a symbol of God's covenant presence. So he's saying here is the glorious covenant keeping um, God on his throne. It talks about the 24 elders um, surrounding the throne. And again, these are probably symbolic representations of all the believers of the Old Covenant, all the believers of the New Covenant, signified in these, uh, the, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. 
we see there it says there's lightning and smoke and we're drawn to this image of Mount Sinai and the giving of the law. And again, it's meant to convey to us that God is holy. And it says that there is this body of water like the glass of the sea. Now, what's interesting about that particularly is that, is that the idea is that as John is getting a vision of the throne room of God, while there is chaos, okay, chaos all around in the earth below, here in heaven, things are at complete peace. Um, God is not disturbed. He is not surprised. He is serene. It's not that he's unmoved. It's, um, you know, I guess in his affections, it's more that he's not concerned or worried um, that his rule is being threatened on earth by these puny little kings. And so this would be, have, all of these things would have come together to create this sense, okay, of, of trust, confidence, power um, that these churches so desperately needed to hear. Now it talks about these four living creatures that are flying around the throne and one has the face of a man and the face of a lion and the face of an ox. And let me just say this, that, that these are probably, and again, we say this tentatively, okay, but these are probably symbolic depictions to denote that all of mankind is worshiping God, all of animate creation. Now, we do see some similarities in this passage to Isaiah 6 and Ezekiel 1 about the throne room of God and creatures that are flying around and worshiping God. But again, there's some similarities to those, to those passages, but there's also some significant differences in terms of number and appearance and function, which lends us to say probably that John was using these visions from the Old Testament of Ezekiel and Isaiah to incorporate into his own apocalyptic vision. And it's meant to say everyone is worshiping God. There's not going to be a time in eternity where God's people cease to worship him. In fact, one of the things that um, Scotty Smith says in his book, Unveiled Hope, is that singing in worship is to be our constant disposition. Now, when we say singing and worshiping is to be our constant disposition, we obviously don't just mean merely the 20 minutes we spend in church singing. We're talking about this idea that we are in a constant state of communion with God. Um, all throughout our day and that we are praying without ceasing and that we are lifting up to him psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, our posture is always one of worship. And you've heard us say things like this before. It's not a matter of if we worship, it's what or whom we worship. There's never a time of the day where we're not worshiping, right? And so this is to remind us, if there ever was any doubt, that Jesus Christ is to occupy that central place to our heart and mind and affections. Now, one other thing to note about this passage is that um, we hear, and by the way, this is the, the great passage chapter where the great hymn, Holy, 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 um, comes from. And we do see the centrality of God's holiness. And, and R.C. Sproul notes, and I think rightly, that holiness is the only attribute of God's that is thrice repeated in scripture. That doesn't mean, well, let me say this. God is love, God is justice, and God is wrath, and God is mercy, and God is grace. And it's not like God is a little part of those, okay, of each of those. It's He's, he's all of those things in totality. And we know that in 
the Gospels, whenever Jesus wanted to emphasize something, he said it twice, right? Verily, verily, the old King James Version said, or truly, truly, or amen and amen, or here and here. But here, the only attribute of God that is repeated three times, holy, 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 signifying that God is in all of his full essence of everything else that he is, he is different than us. He is set apart. He is um, high and lifted up. He is other. And it's as these churches got this glimpse of this vision of the holiness of God, that they would know God is for us. God is reigning on our behalf. It talks about how these creatures are all wearing crowns and they cast their crowns, another hymn, um, at his feet. And the idea again is that crowns denote authority and glory. And the believers, um, by you know, amazing that they are able to commune with this holy God around his throne. And so they are giving back to him the glory that rightly belongs to him. And they're saying, this is all for your glory, worthy to you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So I just want to encourage you today. What is the throne in your life that gives you great fear and anxiety? What, what, what is that thing that seems to be dominant, that seems to be persistent, that seems to be ever-present, that's lurking over you and seems to exert an inordinate amount of control over your circumstances in life and thoughts and affections and encourage us not to deny those things, but to hold them up in light of this vision of Revelation 4 that there is the throne room of God. And we can imagine one day when we're standing before that throne face to face that all the worries, anxieties, troubles, and suffering of this life you can see why they will just recede and fade away because we will have an eternal hope, a great hope. And that's what John wants us to embrace and walk out in our lives today. So there we are. That is Revelation 4. Tomorrow we'll be in Revelation 5, what happens in this throne room. So John sees the throne room. He sees God reigning. But all of this is preparing for us a dramatic act something that Jesus is going to do that is a source of, again, eternal hope and encouragement for us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, give us the hope of an occupied throne, only possible because your son, Jesus Christ, the lamb who was slain, went before us, died the death we should have died, paid the price we should have paid, but is now reigning. Lord, we thank you for him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks. We'll be back in the old homestead tomorrow. Hope you guys have a great day. Bye.